Hey loves, I'm Marley Liss, and welcome to the Sensual Revolution. This is a global movement to reclaim sensual empowerment on an embodied and systemic level. My personal path of sensuality has not been easy. Shame around my body image, sexual abuse, and my queerness had me dissociated and numbed the heck out. It's been a big journey to get to where I am today, but I really have turned my pain to purpose. Along the way, I've learned our personal healing makes epic waves in this world. This podcast is here to remind you that your healing is selfless. When you learn to shed shame, love your body, and claim your worth, you pave the way for all people to do the same. Here, you can expect to hear from sexual educators and healers who work at the embodied level of sensual empowerment, as well as policymakers and justice leaders who work at the systemic level. It's all connected. So whether you're at the very beginning of your own sensual healing journey, or you're a sex-positive advocate and superstar, this community welcomes you. Let's come together and revolutionize this planet one loving, sensual step at a time. Welcome back to another episode of The Sensual Revolution. We took a little two-week break there to just hang out, do some self-care things, and we are back and more fabulous than ever, featuring an amazing freaking guest today that I'm so excited for you to hear from. Ken Mazig is an Israeli writer, a columnist for the Jewish Journal, a speaker who's inspired thousands around the world. He's honestly played a really big role in my own journey of reclaiming Jewish identity. He was named one of the top 100 people positively influencing Jewish life 2018 and 2021, top 50 online pro-Israel influencers, top 50 LGBTQ plus influencers. So basically he's an epic badass. He has a BA in Middle Eastern and Jewish studies. He is a voice for justice for diverse groups and people, and he's a rare voice in a divisive day and age who works to unite people for a common cause rather than sowing discord over clashing narratives. So heck yes, what a fabulous human. We get into really good and powerful, educational, fun, and inspiring conversation today. I want to share first that... I am so thankful to everyone who showed up to my free training last week. It was absolutely beautiful. It was all about how to claim sensual self-love and embodied safety. And the fabulous news is that you can still access this right the heck now. So if you go to the show notes, you'll see a link there. If you go to marleylist.com slash free training, you'll also see that there. And I just think that it's so important for all of us to take really good freaking care of ourselves always and especially right now. I know so many places are shutting down again with the variant of the vid and, um, and that the holidays can be a challenging time for people. For some people, the holidays are like a really beautiful time to feel joyful and celebrate and for others, it can feel really triggering and family dynamics can feel really hard. So whatever you're feeling, I honor that. Your mishmash of emotions is valid and welcome here and you so deserve to take time to prioritize yourself, to take care of yourself, to lean into resources like this podcast like the free training that I offered so it's about an hour long and I offer guided somatic practices and three different keys to build upon 
a beautiful relationship with yourself and to feel really beautiful, safe, and powerful within your body and to have tangible tools to regulate your nervous system, especially in times of chaos and stress. So I don't know about you, but that's definitely something I'm excited to be connecting with right now. So yay, check it out. Let me know how it goes for you. And let's dive into today's conversation. The first half of this conversation is super educational. I mean, the whole thing's educational, but it's super educational. In the first half, we talk about Hen's lens as an LGBTQ plus Jew of color, the importance of intersectional representation, what secular Jewish identity means, what anti-Semitism actually is, how people in progressive leftist narratives can make sure they're not contributing to anti-Semitism, which is something that happens a lot. We talk about what Zionism actually means, claiming capacity to love and stand for both Jewish and Palestinian lives, important AF stuff. We talk about Hen's family story, ethnic cleansing, and what the creation of Israel meant for his survival and what it continues to mean. And then in the second half of this conversation, we get into the gay shit. So if you're a queer human who's here for the gay shit or you're an ally, um, stay tuned for that. We get into such amazing conversation around the parallels that exist between coming out as queer and embracing Jewish identity and why these often go hand in hand. We talk about why Judaism is more than religion and queerness is more than sexual preference in a really similar way. And we also talk about the queer Jewish drag scene that is existing in the world. It's so much fun. So get ready, tune in. I can't wait to hear what resonates with you. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode. I'm so excited to be here with Pen Mazik, who has done such incredible work in this world and has honestly played a really big role in my own journey with Jewish reclamation. So I'm really grateful to have you here. Thanks for having me. It's Yay. a pleasure. And uh, I'm really excited. I've been following you um, for quite a while. I mean, and since some of your work is just so uh, fascinating and I feel like we're going to have a lot to talk about. Yes, I know we have so much to talk about. I'm like, we will do our best to not talk about everything in the world, but there's definitely so much. Um, I'd love to start with this question of who are you in this chapter of your life? Um, wow, that's a, that's a <laughs> question, who am I? <laughs> um, <laughs> Not gonna, I'm not going to give a philosophical answer. I just um, answer but, in whatever way feels <laughs> good for you. <laughs> um, I mean, I, you know what's interesting? I'm, I'm, I'm just finishing my, uh, my first book about the Jews from the Middle East and North Africa. And one of the things that I've discussed was how uh, I can be um, a Jew that is also Middle Eastern and North African, what we call Mizrahi, uh, which is the identification of those of this community. Um, I can also be a queer Jew. Uh, I can be many things, you know, I'm secular Jew. Um, I'm also a, an Israeli. I'm also very Zionist. Um, there are so many different identities that I can have. And I, and I was discussing this in, in my book, how I believe that you can only add identities. Um, I don't think that saying that you are one thing immediately stops you from being some someone else. So um, 
Uh, I'm definitely Jewish. I'm a Jew. I'm very proud of that. Uh, I'm also uh, Middle Eastern and North Africa. My, my mom is from Iraq. My dad is from Tunisia. So I have this element to my identity. I'm a son of refugees. They were both, you know, coming from uh, countries that took away everything they had and had to start new. And um, and that's that's also part of uh, my identity. I'm also queer. I'm a gay man um, living with uh, another man. Um, non-Jewish men, so we're going to have a um, um, mixed family, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. And I am, you know, I love doing yoga. That's also part of my identity, I guess. Uh, mm-hmm. And I am also a fan of RuPaul Drag Race. So there's a lot of things that make <laughs> uh, who I am. And I think all of this really affects um, what I say and how I speak about issues and how I see the world. So, yeah, I'm, I'm many things. If that's the answer. Yeah. Yeah, that's so beautiful. It's so amazing to have like such intersectional representation in the world and to show people that you can be so many different things. Like I love that you do such incredible, um, like very real, sometimes very dense activist related work and you can love RuPaul and watch Drag Race. And I just think that that wholeness is so, so needed in our world. Can you share a little more about the work that you do? Um, Yes, so I'm part of, uh, I'm a senior fellow at the Tel Aviv Institute, which is a research center, um, a think tank. Um, We're mainly working um, on trying to research the conversation around Jews and around uh, minority groups. And um, uh, we're mainly focusing on uh, progressive spaces. This is where, I mean, this whole, you know, queer uh, Jew of color thing is uh, just pushed me towards that. Um, and, uh, and, and we're trying to come up with messaging that will help people understand what Jews are, uh, what is antisemitism, um, that will also be, you know, we, we really believe that there is a space that need to be made, that it's not really there right now for, um, that need to be made for, um, different Jewish experiences that aren't represented and we're trying to bring them forward. So we're working mostly on social media and we have uh, digital producers that are coming from all walks of life, like um, uh, Amy Albertson, she's uh, an Asian Jewish woman that uh, we're working with her and you know, bringing her voice and her, and her brand as an Asian Jewish woman. Uh, Marina Shija, she's a Native American Jewish woman from, uh, um, from the Tewa tribe in New Mexico and she's bringing her identity into it as a Jewish and native person. Um, uh, Matthew, they are a uh, trans activist from uh, LA. So I'm just giving a few examples, but these are the mm-hmm. people that we're working with on a daily basis. We have a group of um, 25 of them that uh, we're helping them with their branding, with um, bringing their own Jewish self and, and in, in all of its wholeness. And I think that's my unique place to be at because I, I wasn't always like that. I wasn't always really proud of who I am. It took time mm-hmm. and I'm just trying to help other people um, realize that. And uh, I'm also a writer and I'm just, fin- as I said, I finished my first book that will come out next year. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's- exciting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Such a diverse Jewish superhero squad. I love, yeah. I love to hear it. 
so funny I'm saying it because when we started this program, I was saying we need to create Jewish Avengers. We need people from, you know, different yes. sections of identities that are coming from different walks of life, not to tokenize them, but just to show how diverse we are and to allow voices that underrepresented in the Jewish community. Because I feel like in the West, in, in America and in North America and, um, and in the UK, the Jewish community has been molded into one specific thing. And we're not really hearing mm -hmm. all of those voices that, that exist and that are allowed and that are proud and are not willing to choose between being queer or Jewish or being um, um, black or Jewish or being being whatever it is and Jewish. So um, yeah. I, trying to make space for this for these people and these voices, I think it's really important. Yeah, it's so needed. I think that a lot of people are really confused about what being Jewish actually means. And this is like one of the reasons that I am so grateful for your work is like, at a time, and we'll definitely get into this, but at a time where I was embracing my queerness more deeply, I was also reflecting on Jewish roots more deeply and just identity in general and like what this all means to me. And my brother was like, you have to follow Chen. He's this like queer Jewish activist and he's also a secular Jew. And I didn't, I didn't realize that that was even a thing that you could be a secular Jew. So I'd love to just know more about what Jewish identity means to you and how it's like, what does it actually mean and how is it possible to be a secular Jew? Uh, wow. Yeah, that's that's a big question. Um, and yeah, and I would love to, to hear from you after that about your journey into um, reclaiming this, your, your full, uh, your whole identity. Um, mm -hmm. And I think, you know, we're, when we look at the history, Jews have always been prosecuted for different reasons. Um, in, you know, in World War II during the Holocaust, uh, the idea was that we are one race and that this race has to be exterminated. Um, in different times, it was because of the religion that we, that we have. Um, but uh, Jews are just really unique. And, and I think that's why the hatred against us is so, is so unique as well. I, I, don't think, I don't think the hatred against us define us, but I think it comes a lot from how we define what being Jewish is. Um, mm -hmm. And being Jewish is a lot of things. You can be an ultra-Orthodox Jew that believes, you know, that is religious and, and strictly religious, and, um, and that's, that will be the main center of your identity, but you'll still share this Jewish ethnicity. Um, you know, this is, it's a tribe of people, it's people that share ethnicity, we come in different races, of course, we've, you know, there's Jewish communities everywhere from the Amazons to, um, to India to, um, to my family in Iraq, there were um, Jews lived all over the world, and that is a result of a long diaspora. So, um, mm -hmm. while other communities have diaspora that lasted for a short while and then they returned home. Jews have been expelled from our land for hundreds of years and we still maintain our identity. One of the people that I really enjoy um, uh, reading is, uh, um, is Ev Jabotinsky. He's one of the founders of the Zionist uh, ideas um, that we follow today and was a very Zionist um, um, Jew in, 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 the Soviet, in the former Soviet Union. And he was writing how, you know, there's, um, um, there's a Jewish identity that is that he wants to create that will transcend the religion. He saw religion as a, as the one thing that can keep our identity in the diaspora, but said mm -hmm. one day we'll go back to Israel and Israel is such a central part of Jewish identity. Um, and when we'll be there, it will be the first time that there will be a Jewish state. We'll have one place that is Jewish. You know, there's 
tens of uh, dozens of, uh, of Christian countries and dozens of Muslim countries, there will be one country that will be Jewish, um, mm -hmm. that instead of celebrating Christmas, will celebrate Hanukkah and Rosh Hashanah, um, and that will be the default rather than something else. Um, and, and Jabotinsky was, you know, as a secular Jew that didn't believe in God, he was constantly following Jewish religion. I think that's very interesting. And I feel like this is, um, as, a, as a secular Jew that lives in the diaspora, that lives now, I live in London, I often feel like I have to maintain some degree of Jewish religious practices. We have, we're doing Kiddush every Friday, we're, we're doing all the things, although I'm secular, um, but those costumes for me are not just religion, um, they, they are customs of our identity. And um, Jews always had this relation to the land of Israel, and that's what makes us indigenous uh, to this land. Uh, indigeneity is, is not where your grandparents are from, because if, if it was that way, that means that white Christians in America are basically indigenous to this land, and we know that it's not true. Um, mm -hmm. uh, being indigenous to a place is where your people started as people, when you, where your community and your practices and your culture began. And the second part of being indigenous um, is that you maintain relationship to this land, that you maintain agricultural relationship and, and you continuously thinking of returning to this place. Um, and Jews are doing it in prayer books and every time we're praying towards Jerusalem, in weddings, you, you know, we remember Jerusalem. Um, Sukkot is such an agricultural holiday when we, we take different fruits and vegetables and wave them in six directions of, of the wind. Um, and uh, Marina Shija, the Native American Jewish lady that we're working with, she often tells me, you know, we're inviting the angels of peace to our home every Friday. And that's very similar practice to, to Native people, to Indigenous people. Mm -hmm. It's that they're inviting the spirits into their home. So all of this is making, making Jewish identity and what it means to be Jewish much more complex than just a religion. Because if it was just a religion, then the prosecution against us wouldn't make sense. If we were just, if people just hated Jews, if anti-Semites only hated Jews because of our religion, we wouldn't see it manifested and the hatred being manifested in the way that it is. Um, mm -hmm. I feel like people are trying to reduce Jewish identity often. People that are anti-Semitic um, are trying to reduce Jewish identity to one thing um, uh, that is just religion. Um, mm -hmm. And that really, doesn't make sense and it doesn't make sense because also many Jews in Israel are secular and many Jews in the diaspora are secular but that's part of our identity and we will be prosecuted it doesn't matter if I have a you know a, a hat a black hat on or if I wear tzitzit if I wear Jewish um, religious uh, costumes um, uh, or if I just have Magen David or if I just speak in Hebrew uh, another Semite will treat me just the same it's not about the religion um, mm -hmm. it's not, it's not a degree of the religion, it's that we are part of this tribe of people. Um, and I think that's, um, I'm trying to avoid the, defining us by the hatred, but I think the hatred uh, towards uh, the Jewish community or some of the hatred that we're seeing in anti-Semitism is really surrounded around our peoplehood and, and this ethnicity um, and religion, of course, but it's just we're just not complex. And I feel like it's because we're not basic, a lot of people hate us, so. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's very nuanced. And um, I'm sure as a, a gay person too, and and I've found this as a gay person too, like so much of my values align with the left and progressive spaces. And I found a lot of safety and, and healing in those spaces. But then at the same time, like there's also so much anti-Semitism that comes from the left. And I don't know if it if it comes from a space of hatred or like and or just like lack of understanding 
So I'm curious, like what, what would you say to someone who aligns themselves with the left, like doesn't like hate Jews, but is probably just like confused and, and receiving a lot of misinformation. Like, what would you say to someone like that? And how could they kind of like begin to do better in terms of, of Jewish allyship? Um, that's really good question. And I feel like a lot of my friends also on the left are often engaging in anti-Semitic tropes and they don't, they don't really know what it means. And um, I also often ask myself, you know, is it our job to educate non-Jews about anti-Semitic tropes? Like, why should we be tasked with this labor of, of continuing this tr generational trauma that we have mm -hmm. and using that to explain to people? So I, I'm conflicted about that. But then again, I understand that if it's not, if we're not going to discuss it, people are not going to really use Google or, or research that. Um, and, and I know that because I'm also seeing uh, hatred manifested towards other minority groups. And I don't find that many people want to do the hard work of, of researching it and understanding. It. And even if they are, you know, sometimes I'm hearing them, well, yeah, of course we, we research. We have this one Jewish person that says that it's okay to be anti-Israel. Um, mm -hmm. And that, you know, this form of tokenization, I, I, I don't think that we shouldn't listen to people that are anti-Israel, and I don't think that Jews that are anti-Israel are less Jewish, um, mm -hmm. but it definitely, according to every statistics that you look at, they are less than 5% of our community, 95% um, of American Jews are Zionists, uh, or at least have favorable view of Israel. I never met an anti-Zionist that has a favorable view of Israel, so I think it's safe to say that they are Zionists. Um, and we often see those minority of anti-Zionist Jews being amplified and excusing anti-Semitism and saying that, you know, the things that the rest of the community is saying is anti-Semitic is not. And it's very, very easy to go to those voices and say, they legitimize what they legitimize what I say. And I have a, I have a Black friend that tells me that she sees it in her community as well, that many, um, um, many, not many, but a few black voices that will um, that will repeat some ideas that are not that are not in the best interest of the black community are being amplified by um, racist uh, um, people that want to promote uh, this sort of, of thinking. So I think first first and for, foremost is is to do our due diligence and understand which voices we're following, and if those voices really represent the communities that we want to support. Again, not only with Jewish community, I think it's the same with the black community, with uh, LGBTQ community. You can, you know, as a gay person, I've seen so many times how homophobic gay guys are being uh, amplified and are being, you know, people like uh, Dolce and Gabbana that they both were against gay marriage or, or Milo Yiannopoulos and people that are really viciously anti-gay that are gay as well that have, you know, that have been presented as if this is the, the norm in the gay community. I'm not saying that it makes them less gay, but I'm saying let's not focus on them and let's make sure that we are really accurately engaging with a community that we want to be allies with. Um, and, I, and I think, you know, being anti-Zionist is just part of it, but it's often those people that are anti-Zionist that are promoting those um, tropes and excusing anti-Semitism and saying, well, this is not anti-Semitic and um, or saying things like, there's this organization, Jewish Voice for Peace, that is vehemently um, anti-Israel and they have excused mm -hmm. so many violent attacks and, and said that, you know, this optic of anti-Semitism is not real and that we, uh, or it was it is another group, if not now, they're also an anti-Zionist anti group that have said that, you know, the anti-Semitic incidents are not accurate. And for me, if I saw it uh, from coming from other communities, I would immediately say, okay, this is not representing the community. If someone that is really excusing anti-Semitism and, and 
engaging in anti-Semitism um, is pretend to be a voice of a community, I, you know, I should, I would be worried. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's like, for me, the first part is really try to get accurate um, understanding, speak to as many people as you can. I'm not saying don't speak to anti-Israel Jews, like definitely we should hear their voices, but make sure that this is not the only voice that you're hearing, uh, that you that you really have, you know, a better understanding of what it is. And if, and if you get only one voice, just research it um, and do the hard work. I think that's important. And, and again, it's not just Jews. I mean, for every community, we need to make sure that we understand what anti-Semitic tropes are. We need to understand that we, that we need to know we need to do the hard work to learn what racist tropes are, what homophobic and LGBTQ phobic um, mm -hmm. tropes are and, and to avoid them. And that's part of creating a just society. And I often feel like, you know, like you said, that in the progressive spaces, we do understand um, what is most of what is racist, what, what things are racist and what things are homophobic. Um, but when it gets to the Jewish community, I often feel like people just dismiss us or, or, or saying that it's not... Um, that it's not as important. And I don't think there's one hatred that is more important than another. Um, mm -hmm. I think there's, we need to make, and that's what intersectionality is about, is about understanding how all those type of hatreds intersect and, and in society really affect minorities and, and to fight for a better and more just society. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really appreciate that. I, I think that it's just so nuanced. And I think especially as our world's become more virtual in the past few years with the pandemic, like so many people are getting their information from Instagram and Twitter and things like this. And like, I, you know, I, I love me some Instagram, like won't deny that. But at the same time, it's so easy for someone to see one person's post and and not you know not know what a word means like they can see so anyone can say hey here's what zionism means and they go oh i'm against that and they then they don't actually get the definition so i just see so many people that think that being like like loving jews and supporting zionism equates to like being against Palestinian lives. And there was one post that you did that I really appreciated. I wrote it down where you were just like, Jewish rights and Palestinian rights are both important and worth fighting for. And they're also not mutually exclusive. And in some ways that's like such a simple idea, but it also seems like it's so complex and challenging for people. And people seem to be afraid that they're like, oh, but if I love Jews, does that mean I hate Palestinians and it's like fuck it doesn't it doesn't need to, to mean that yeah I'm curious yeah. yeah yeah no that's that's such an important point that you know it's it somehow became and I think it's probably some of the way to some people have this those really bad ideas about Jews and the way to, to justify them feeling this way is to say well we only feel this way because we care about other minority group and I also see people that you know, care about Jews so much and care about Israel that are saying, well, because we care about Israel, we have to be anti-Palestinian. And that's really terrible both ways. I mean, the idea that everything is black and white, like how has that become so binary? I saw people that are so open about understanding nuance on, on different issues, but then when it gets to this issue, they will post things like, no, it's black and white. You know, there's mm -hmm. there's two sides. And and yes, there are two sides, but in the, inside is two sides, you have more two sides. You know, if we're looking at Israel itself, Israel has 
55% Israeli Jews today are uh, Jews from the Middle East and North Africa, like my family. Um, they're people of the Middle East. So the whole, I mean, of course, all Jews, as, as, we, as I said earlier, started in the Middle East, but a large group of people have lived there for a hundred of years and never left. Um, and this notion that there is this racial segregation, as I'm hearing, is so ridiculous when majority of the people are Middle Eastern people, and both Jews and non-Jews, uh, Arab Israelis, and this, you know, to think that this conflict that has been going on for thousands of years is so easy and lack any nuance and it's just black and white, it's just ridiculous. And, and just like everything, you know, everything, nothing is binary. And everything, every time you are being told that there's only two sides, try and think about it, you know, deeply and understand, of course, there's terrible things that there's just one side that is awful and another one that is that has been the victim. Um, but there's also, there's, it can't be that um, um, that one side is without flaw and the other one is just, you know, doing something. So I mean, it's 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 just it's much more nuanced than what people would have us believe. And I think that it's very important that people would just understand that and and understand that both Palestinians and Israelis deserve human rights and deserve equality. And I believe in a two state solution. I'm very strong Zionist and I believe in Palestine and I'm supporting Palestine all the way. And I've been. Um, an activist in Israel, and I voted always for for parties that have promoted this idea, this ideology, because that's what I believe in. And as a Zionist, and by the way, Zionism is about that. It's about equal rights, and it's about living as free people in our land without oppressing anyone else. And mm -hmm. I think that Israel is not without flaws, and and. I'll be the first to criticize every Israeli that you'll ask will probably have criticism about the government of Israel. Um, but the difference is that once you that you can criticize a, a government, but never, never heard anyone saying, you know, I don't support America's rights to exist. I don't support Canada's right to exist. Uh, I'm anti I'm, no one is advocating for um, to remove uh, white Christians from America and move them somewhere else because mm -hmm. You know, we understand reality, but it's just when it gets to Israel, it seems like everyone are anti-Zionist. And anti-Zionism is not criticism of Israel. Criticism of Israel is to say, I disagree with this policy. I want to change this. I want to improve. Anti-Zionism is not being critical of Israel. Anti-Zionism is believing that Israel must be destroyed. And that's where the red line, I think, is where we're saying, okay, you can be critical. We can have a conversation about criticism. But once you cross the line into calling for the death of my country, and there's no other way to define it. It is the death of Israel. Um, that means that my family will be homeless. That means that um, you know, 7 million Jews in Israel today will be left without citizenship. So in, in, the, in the sense that, they, that people are saying, well, I'm only against Israel because I'm against an ethnostate, um, but then advocating for Palestine that will be an ethnostate um, it just doesn't, the, the logic here, it doesn't work. And I think people just need to ask themselves, is, is this what I'm trying to do? Am I trying to change policies? Am I trying to improve people's life? Or am I going against the whole group of people and, and saying things that will lead to either death or, or you know, creating more refugees? And, and I don't think that some of the people that are engaging in it really understand that this is what it means, but, but it's that simple. Mm -hmm. yeah thank you so much for this like I think that people have such a tendency to jump into action and I and I think it's a result of like you know being in a collective state of fight or flight like being in a collective state of urgency and trauma and just like jumping really quickly into action and thinking that that's helpful 
And sometimes it's actually more helpful to just like slow down at like educate yourself, listen to different diverse voices. Like you're saying, listen to different opinions, like really let yourself learn about something before jumping into action and a firm stance and advocacy about it. And this is definitely one of those topics that like you're saying, it's thousands and thousands of years of nuance and complexity and like to just say, oh, well, I saw an Instagram post and here's my stance is like, oh, so many people are being harmed in that. And I love that you bring in that, like, you know, I, I like the power of storytelling and your own personal connection to that and your own family story of like, hey, here's what that would mean for my family. And here's what Israel does mean for my family. Um, I'd love to hear a bit more about that, about your own family story and that connection uh yeah um my family came to israel in the early 50s my family from my mother's side came to israel from iraq jews have been in living in iraq for really thousands of years that they 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 actually identify as babylonian jews rather than iraqi jews they lived in this area since it was babylon um some of the most important jewish texts that we that we're using today like the talmud have been written there um at some point i think um Baghdad, like the capital of Iraq, was two-third Jewish majority, so it was such a vibrant community um, that always lived as second-class citizens. Um, they always lived in, you know, we tend to think that empires are just uh, um, are just white and and Christian, but empires come in from you know in different shapes and different forms. And and uh, and the Jewish community, although they lived in this area for they they are indigenous to this area, were oppressed by uh, the Arab Empire. And um, and that another thing that is hard for people to rec recognize that um, that there is an Arab empire and the best test that historians use to um, scholars use to identify an an imperial power is the the language test. So um, you know the empires are using their um, their using language to spread their ideas and they colonize other places and make the people in those places speak the language. Um, and that's how you identify, you know, that's why so many people speak French because of the French empire uh, that controlled and colonized other, other countries. The same thing with Spanish, the same thing with English. The reason that I speak English is because it's an imperial language. Um, and the same thing with Arabic as well. The reason that so many countries in the Middle East speak Arabic is because Arabic is an imperial language. It was promoted through colon colonialism of the Middle East. And, um, and Jews that lived, Jews as, Jews as well as Copts and, and Yazidis and Armenians and, and other religious indigenous minorities in the Middle East lived under this Arab empire. And um, they had to pay tax to be um, Dimi. Dimi in Arabic means a protected minority. So you're protected as long as the ruler wants to protect you. And in 1941, six years before the, seven years almost before the creation of Israel, um, the Jews of uh, Iraq faced one of the most deadliest attacks against them where my grandmother had to see, you know, her best friend being raped and killed in the street. She was a teenage girl. Um, just because she's Jewish, you know, hundreds of Jews have been killed, thousands have been injured. And the Jewish community in Iraq um, were basically told, you know, this place, you're not safe anymore. Um, mm -hmm. This was incited by Nazis, but it was conducted by Arabs in Iraq. Um, and I think that was the beginning of the end. And then in 1951, uh, the Iraqi government finally told the Jews 
um, that they can give up their citizenship uh, if, and move to Israel. And from 150,000 people today, there's maybe one, one Jewish person living in Iraq in hiding. Um, but other than that, you know, a whole community was ethnically cleansed. Uh, and the same story happened to my grandparents in Tunisia. Uh, they are part of the Amazigh tribe. The Amazigh are the most indigenous tribe to North Africa. Um, mm -hmm. There's, come, you know, some some uh, scholars say that they were Jews that converted to other um, identities, or that the Amazigh themselves are all Jews that just came to this area after ex being exiled from from Israel from Judea. Um, but um, but anyway, there are there were five thousand Amazigh Jews that were forced out of, from Tunisia, and again, from one hundred and five thousand people, the community today has less than a thousand. Um, and I think you know when we're talking about ethnic cleansing, ethnic cleansing means that a community has been cleansed. Um, if we're looking at um, um, in in Israel, um, the amount of Palestinians, uh, uh, Israeli Palestinians, Israeli Arabs. Uh, has been increasing um, and from 100,000 people in the creation of Israel today, there's 1.3 million Israeli Arabs living inside Israel. Um, mm -hmm. And in the Palestinian Authority, of course, there's million more, millions more. Um, and the notion that there was some sort of ethnic cleansing, of course, there, were, there was a war and there were uh, Palestinians that were forced out of their homes. We can't deny that. Uh, but for me, it feels so reductive when people say, you know, you, they were ethnically cleansed. No, the ethnic cleansing looks completely different. My grandparents had to give up everything. They lost land that is equal to five times the size of the, of the state of Israel today, this, this whole community. They lost $300 billion in property, and no one ever recognized us as refugees. Um, but we were, and, and it's even, you know, it's a double insult for us today that when people are saying, not only that, that we're not going to recognize what happened to you, we're going to take your story and your tragedy and your trauma and really put it on another community that while has gone through a trauma, wasn't ethnically cleansed in the size and the numbers that we were. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's really important for me to, and that's part of why I'm doing what I'm doing today because my grandmother wants to see justice. And for me, and for her as well, I mean, for me, justice means really it's, I, I really want to, I, I, even if I'm not going to use the land that was stolen from them, I want to have some sort of recognition of that. But for my grandmother, it's, it's all about acknowledgement. She wants people to know the story. She wants people to hear what happened to them. Mm -hmm. uh, and she lived her, all of her life in fear. You know, she grew up, she, she grew up in Iraq, moved to Israel with her kids, um, as immig immigrated, but actually returned back home. Um, but all of her life, she was afraid of that the Iraqi police would come one day and knock on the door and take her kids or take her. Um, and, and she spoke Arabic in Israel and she, she still speak Arabic. I was, I was the one teaching her Hebrew and it, or to write in Hebrew. And um, growing up this way is, is very, it gives you, you know, understanding how complex and, and, and the nuance of the situation. And that's why I feel like so compelled to also make sure that the Palestinians have a reconciliation but i also can't have it on on the, on the like my my family have nowhere else to go they can't go back to iraq they can't go back to tunisia our homes mm -hmm. in iraq have been destroyed completely and burned down um in in tunisia i know my my aunt went to um to jerba where my family lived uh and she saw that the whole place turned into um it, like it's not a home anymore it's been used for other things um we have nowhere else to go and, and that's really what the jewish story is and even if it's you know no matter if it's in the middle east or if it's in europe or if it's in china or india or ethiopia um jews have lost their we can't go back to where our grandparents are from because 
those villages, those houses, those homes have been burned down and we often don't have anywhere else. And we're, um, for, for me, like having Israel is, is the only guarantee that, um, that when it will happen again to our community, there will be a place for us to go back to. And in every generation, again, it's not just the Holocaust, it's not just the Spanish Inquisition, it's not just the, um, the forcing out of, of almost a million Jews from all the Middle East, North Africa and Iran, uh, it's happening all the time. We're one community that has been shipped in wholesale numbers from one place to another. And that's why for me, it's very important to, to discuss that. Thank you. These yeah. conversations are so important. Like I'm just really, I'm really feeling that. Um, I can share, I feel inspired to share a bit more about like how I found your work and just like, yes, please. Came I was going to to that, yeah. yeah, came to that knowing that like, this is so important. I, I think for me, a big part of my Jewish experience and queer experience has been like assimilation and conformity. And for, for me, who's someone who can like pass as straight or non-Jewish like people don't meet me and they see me and they're like oh that's a gay Jew like they don't they don't right away um get that some people do but a lot of people don't so that kind of like gave me the option in life to not claim those identities and that comes with privilege as well and that's like a really interesting spot because it's like you either get privilege and inauthenticity which is like really harmful in its own way or you get oppression and authenticity and I think this is where I see a lot of parallels between the queer and Jewish experiences like well would I rather be closeted as a Jew and a gay person and receive certain forms of societal privilege but like hate myself and live so disconnected from myself and like suppress who I really truly am and stand against my people and all the all of my ancestors and the activists before me who have like fought for those communities but receive some privilege or like step into an identity that invites in oppression and stereotypes and some some safety is lost in some ways as well but live authentically and in a liberated true honest way where I get to connect with like my deepest joy and stand with my people and stand with these whole movements and so that to me is why these kind of like came together because I, I felt that I felt the the I want to say the rightness or the beauty of choosing to live authentically as a queer person I was like oh my god like I feel like a thousand pound weight off my chest. I can just be like my fabulous gay self. I can just like love who I want to love. I can be part of this whole beautiful culture and movement that is like so vibrant and special. And that is worth it. Even though it comes with like homophobia and hurts and loss in different ways, like it's worth it. And so I think that inspired the same revelation around Judaism where I was like wow I I you know there's also this piece of me that I kind of just shoved to the side and I, and I went from like a growing up in a very Jewish suburb to like then going to an art school where I was like the only Jewish person and it was very like oh I've never met a Jew like like oh you don't celebrate Christmas and I and I just kind of like like dropped it in a way or like just put that identity on the back burner and like even hit it in some ways and now I see that same parallel where I'm like no I'd so much rather be 
my authentic self and and in respect to like the history and the movement and your family and my family and like everyone who came before us and will come after us it's like there's such a um a deep need for like integrity there so those were kind of like the parallels and again this is why I was so excited when my my brother was like here's a queer secular Jewish activist I was like that exists like that's a thing (laughs) yeah no that's that's beautiful do you feel like growing up in in um uh, in Canada is was I mean it's it's a white Christian country and and that's another thing that we often forget that there's so much microaggressions around us I think I told you that when we spoke about how you know every Sunday is microaggression for the Jewish community because this is a day off and it's not our day off it's not our holy day um and and every Christmas when we're not invited to any Christmas party or even if we are we're not feeling that it's going to be ours like that's that's what I feel like often this um, when people speak, speak about multiculturalism in the West, I don't, I don't think that there is real multiculturalism because it's still a white Christian country and it's, we get this reminder often. Do you feel like that was, um, you feel like that maybe also pushed you away from uh, your Jewish identity? Yeah, I definitely, definitely think that it was like, everyone's doing Christmas. Like that's, mm. you know, that's what you do. I also think there were a lot of tropes, like the Jewish American princess kind of thing. And I think that the representation that I saw of Jews, to be honest, was like whiny and entitled. And I was like, oh, well, I don't want to be that, um, which is so sad to me. But I think there was that deep, like internalized anti-Semitism where I was like, well, I'm, I'm not like that. I'm a cool Jew, like this kind of like, you know, and, and now I see that and, and I see even um, stereotypes towards certain suburbs in Toronto that is really just anti-Semitism where it's just like, oh, this, this is a suburb of mostly Jewish people and they're all very like entitled and like, I'm, not, I'm just like, well, that's just anti-Semitism. Um, so it is, it is, it is very interesting here. And I, and I wonder how much of um, like the not realizing that I could be a secular Jew played into that as well. Cause I also think that being in like super religious institutions didn't feel so empowering on an LGBTQ level. And so I wonder if part of me kind of stepped away and was like, well, this isn't for me. Like I can't be my full self here. And now I see that that's, that's not actually true. Yeah, it's so, I think that's why so many queer, uh, queer Jews can really have this conversation because we've been denied from, um, in, in a way from religious Jewish communities. And it's, and it's so true what you're saying that, you know, we get this vision of if you want to be Jewish, that this is what you need to do um, because that's what we get in the media. That's what we get, we get around us. And, and, and in the same way, I think to be queer and to go out and fight for, uh, I was protesting for trans rights. And then there were this one person with a sign that it was an anti-Zionist. And I was said like, this has like, this has nothing to do with, with this cause. It's co-opting a co- this cause. And I feel like it's often happening that anti-Zionists will co-opt other, other um, marginalized groups causes. Um, but it, it was also like, I saw it very often and, and I felt like it's continuously been pushing me away from this as well. And I think that's why we, we find it, um, we find it easier to, uh, to once you come out as queer to also embrace your Jewish identity because you understand 
what it's like when the majority of society tells you to be ashamed of who you are and what it's like to stop that and just to cut it and then come out and be who you are and not apologize and not minimize who you are to to pass into society and i think that's why it's so beautiful that um that you're really proud and i and i saw your recent post in in hanukkah i think that's when i first reached out and it was really inspiring to see that you 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 use your platform to say this is who i am fully uh, how did that feel oh my gosh thank you um i love this conversation <laughs> <laughs> um it felt really good i i think that i always carried a subtle guilt for for turning away from parts of myself and parts of like like from the community as well I think I think I um fell into that classic like leftist thing where I was fighting for so many communities but neglecting my own and mm. not not even really knowing that not even really realizing that so in a way like reclaiming Jewish identity reclaiming queerness and like speaking up about those things and saying like I like you know this is my voice this is my experience um feels like turning back towards myself and my community after years of like abandoning those aspects of of myself and of our of our community so it's been really powerful and, and I also really appreciate what you share around like being Jewish enough because I I think that those are things that kept me silent as well for a while I was like well I don't know enough about this and I did that with queerness too I don't know if you can relate right. to that like I was like well, I'm not queer enough. I'm not Jewish enough. Like I'm not, I can't be the one to speak to these things, but then realizing that, that I, that is my lived experience and that that is enough. And that this is an expression of Jewish identity and queer identity that exists right now. Yeah. This is, this is so strong. And I mean, but you do realize like even, even the guilt that you have, the guilt that you have for not, I mean, you were a closeted Jew in the sense that because because society made it easier for you to be closeted Jew. Um, they they told you it will be much easier and we will accept you if you just give up this this part of your identity. The same way as being queer that they would they told you society tells us often that it's you know if you just hide your identity or like many homophobes will often say you know just keep it in your bedroom don't bring it don't bring your identity outside like reducing it to what to this thing mm -hmm. um in and of itself it's oppressive and it's so like triggering and so um terrible i mean it's it's just so vile i think for 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 societies to to make minorities feel like we should just shut up about who we are and then they will accept us so even this um uh and and i often have this conversation around uh uh Jews that can pass into whiteness, um, even that, even the idea that you can pass into whiteness in and of itself is a white supremacist idea, idea mm -hmm. that is conditioned on you accepting this racism um, to pass into society. And it's not, you're never really passing, you're never fully accepted. And as we saw with so many synagogues that have been shot up by, um, uh, attacked by white supremacists, uh, they don't care how, pale your skin is at the end of the day white supremacists and and nazis and and anti-semites hate all jews because they're jews it doesn't matter if you're a black jew and it doesn't matter if you're a queer jew or or uh, or you know wh whoever you are um as long as you're a jew that's where this hatred comes from of course they're 
you know, there's, um, there's different experiences to each, to each intersection of different community of, of, of being Jewish and, but, um, but it's important for us to realize that a lot of our experience and a lot of the things that you, you're blaming yourself for, be it Jewish or queer or, you know, being in the closet about it, it's not your fault. And it's not, you were conditioned to thinking this way because of an oppressive ideology that is still very permanent in our societies. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, so many snaps for that. Um, I I read, I'm trying to see it here. I've been reading this book. It's like an anthology of Jewish lesbian voices and it's really beautiful and it's from like the 80s or something. It's yeah. really cool. Have you yes. heard of this? I'm like, yes. is it? I'm like, it's somewhere around here. Oh, Nice Jewish Girls by yes. Evelyn Beck, I want to say. Um, have you heard of it? A few essays from it. Yeah, one essay was um what's her name shana i forgot her name she's one black jewish author she she writes i think the introduction and she's discussing how we need to um something she was it was around i think it was around jews of color and this identification of having both jewish identity and um and other marginalized group identities intersect um so yeah so i think i read it but you what were you saying about that there's just like something so similar to what you said about this kind of reductionist narrative and the parallels between queerness and, and Judaism and the way that people might be homophobic or anti-Semitic without even like sometimes they actually think it's being accepting when they say something like, oh, well, I don't care who you sleep with, like keep that to yourself. Like they think that that's accepting. And it said, I can't remember the exact wording, but it said something along the lines in the book of um, the same way like lesbian queer identity is not just about sexual preference. Like it's about more than that. Same with Jewish identity. We can't say it's just about religion. And so I just thought like that parallel really struck me. And and I was like, oh, I get it. Cause there is so much to all of this. And when people say like, oh, well, I don't care who you sleep with. It's like, it's it's so much more than that. Like queer identity, Jewish identity, it's so much more than who you sleep with, who you pray to, like, what sitting are you? Like, there's so much more to it. So it just, it was just really beautiful and really, really stayed with me. Yeah, and I think that's why in, um, again, in, in a society that we live in, they want to oppress us so badly and to and to put us into one category. And, you know, and even the, you, you said before, the Jewish American princess, that I have some Jewish friends that use this term. And I think that it's, a terrible term. I feel like it's reprehensible to to connect one's Jewish identity to the fact that they're privileged or or to you know criticize wealth, criticize privilege. But this has nothing to do with being a minority in a white Christian society. Like that's not. It's it's so convoluted that people were able to jump from um, from one you know one minority that has been marginalized and attacked over the years and and we're still unable to get i mean even here in london there's some clubs that while they don't say it officially you know that they don't get they don't accept jews to those uh to those clubs and and jews have been marginalized and attacked for uh for in 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 living memory you know and it's um so it hasn't passed from the world and we're still we're still uh, oppressed and i think to just turn it into a point of privilege that somehow we actually benefit from being Jewish is just, it, it, it's insane to me. And I think that's really um, this whole, I had a conversation with this uh, fashion blogger that 
um, said something really, really bad. She said, I don't want to, I don't want to name names or, or to point out, but, but the, the, the quote that you used was something uh, along the line of how Jewish, American Jewish uh, women um, just get creatine treatment and they get a nose job and they change their name and then they can pass in society. And I'm thinking, this is not positive. The fact that they have to do all of these things that you just mentioned to pass into, into society mm -hmm. and be accepted is so racist and it's so terrible that um, that they need to alter who they are just to just to hide their identity even more. Um, and I think that's really. I mean, she tried to she tried to make it into a point of, of criticizing the privilege in, in the Jewish society, and instead, I think it's for me it meant like what like this is they have to do at least all of that and then they have to hide who they are to pass into the society like that tells you how fucked up the society is and how much more more work we need to do to to improve it and there's so much work to be done oh my gosh oh yeah so many things it's it's really like that really shows to me how the beauty standard is so incredibly anti-semitic too i think we we hopefully talk a lot about how the beauty standards like racist and hetero and like sexist and all these things, but it's also super anti-Semitic. And that's so true. Like the amount of um, Jewish people like criticizing their nose. Like I always heard my mom criticize her nose, you know? And it's like, that's just like internalized anti-Semitism to a certain degree. And um, also like unpacking the Jewish American princess trope I really appreciate that because I haven't I haven't thought about it that that I just hadn't given it that much time but I'm just like yeah it's incredibly like femphobic sexist anti-semitic like obviously anti-semitic like it's just there's so there's so much in that yeah yeah and it's this term that we throw around and we don't even realize that it's actually being I mean used against us and and we think that it's um you know, something to joke about, but it's, I feel like personally, I'm not, you know, I have friends that are using it and, and that's their decision. But for me, it's, um, it's just like a Jewish person does not born privilege and, and a Jewish, a Jewish woman or a Jewish girl would not be born uh, privilege. There's no connection between the two. There, there are so many poor Jewish people that uh, I'm volunteering here. And when I lived in America, I volunteered here. There's um, there, there, there are Jews that are in need. The fact that you hear about some Jewish actors in Hollywood, or you hear about a few Jewish, you know, presenters in the news, doesn't make all of our community privileged. And it's the same way that I feel like many other minority communities are being, you know, challenged by, oh, well, there is this person that succeeded from your community, and look at all those wealthy people from your community. That doesn't negate racism against us. And it's the same. I, I that was a, the conversation about um, Asians in America and, and the Asian hate that we saw that people said well they're very successful doesn't the fact that a few of our community have made it doesn't i don't i don't get to share seth rogan paycheck i you know mm -hmm. I, anything um, <laughs> i've actually heard by a lot of things that, that seth rogan is, is saying and the, and the stereotypes that he's perpetrating about our community and some of his statements but um but that's not you know that's that's just not a um a yardstick for, for anything. And I think it's really important people would recognize that and, and recognize that not, I don't want people to feel bad because they use it, but I want people to really think of why they use the, this term and mm -hmm. why they why they think this way. Like ask yourself, I think that's that's how, and, and that answering your previous question about 
allyship. I think that's allyship. It's to ask yourself, mm -hmm. why do I think the way that, that I think? What are my unconscious biases about this community? And now I can unlearn them. And, and that's what we all can do because we are born into a society that is, we're not born racist, but we're born into racist societies. We're born into anti-Semitic society with beauty mm -hmm. standards and, and, and ideas about identity uh, surrounding around the imperial identity, which is white and Christian. Um, and men, and if you're not white Christian men um, and uh, and straight, then you have you have an experience in society that is that is much harder than than a white straight Christian man. And it's not going to say that we should you know we should hate white Christian men. That that I'm just saying that this is the default of this is privilege in society, and everything mm -hmm. else is going to make your experience much harder. So. I think it's just an important point for people to to ponder on. Mm -hmm. What I really love about your your approach to is like the willingness to dialogue. And I think so often our culture has that like punitive approach of like, you know, you said this anti-Semitic thing, like, fuck you, never mm -hmm. talking to you again. Like we're we're at war essentially. Um but the the approach of like education and willingness to dialogue is so aligned with like restorative justice and just just like nuance and and acknowledging that okay that person's not anti-semitic because they're just an asshole I mean maybe sometimes but most of the time it's because of like you're saying they're born into this way of thinking there's like teachings passed down across generations there's like so much to it so I really appreciate like the willingness to educate. You had a really beautiful story about that last time. I'm curious if you'd be open to sharing that. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, yeah, I mean, what what you're saying is so true. Like, and 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 that's uh, with the work that you're doing is is often seeing the person engaging in something that is wrong and helping them understand why it's wrong. I think that's a lot of what we're doing as well. And um, there was. Um, uh, there was a blogger from London, um, I, I think about a year ago, that um, was chosen to be um, an editor in a fashion magazine. And as soon as she, it, this was announced, um, she uh, a few tweets from her past came to surface from her making jokes about the Holocaust from 10 years ago. Um, terrible stuff. And, um, and I felt like the whole Jewish community came out really ang angry, rightfully. I mean, the, the jokes were terrible about Anne Frank and about the Holocaust, really minimizing and mocking it. Um, and this lady said, well, I'm, you know, I, I actually quoted um, Family Guy, uh, some jokes from there because I thought it was funny back then, 10 years ago when I was 16. And I'm so sorry about that. And I felt like many in the Jewish community were really upset. And that's, I mean, that's a point for uh, maybe our Jewish listeners, but also a point for the Jewish community that we often um, rightfully, again, I don't want it to come across as if I'm saying we shouldn't be upset about anti-Semitism. We, we should be, absolutely. But to attack people because they made anti-Semitic comments is not going to help us. And it's not going to help us turn this world into a better place. So I actually mm -hmm. reached out to her and she said that I was one of the only people that reached out to her. And, um, and we met a few times here in London and we started discussing the, um, her experiences as a black woman and the Jewish community's experiences and my experiences as a, as a Jewish person. And 
She didn't know that there are Jews of color. She didn't know that Jews come from all over the world. Uh, she didn't really know um, anti-Semitic tropes. We started watching videos. We listened to, um, to all sorts of ideas and, and, and conversations. And I think what really um, resonated with me was that she turned into a real ally for the Jewish community. And that was not, maybe not resonant, but that was really for me what I was trying to, to achieve. I wanted to, I knew that this woman was not doing it intentionally. She wasn't trying to harm our community. And once she learned about those, why what she did was so bad, then she changed completely. And I think mm -hmm. that often when people engage in, in anti-Semitism or racism or hatred, this idea of like, that's why cancel culture is not working because we're going to end up with no one to cancel. And I think that um, canceling people is not helping um, people improve. It's not helping us turn our society to a more just society. Definitely there should, people should be held accountable. If someone says something that is that is racist or anti-Semitic, homophobic or, or bigoted against any community, we have to call it out. We have to make sure that this person is being called out but when people show remorse and they want to change and and they're opening open to listening you can create some of the strongest allies allies to your cause when people have engaged with bigotry towards this community that you're from so it's not only for jews i'm saying it to whoever wherever whatever community you're coming from and someone is engaging in bigotry in this community the way to to rehabilitate them or the way to to find um to find a um an ally in them is, is to reach out and it's to listen to them and understand where it comes from. Because I, I said that it's really, and I, also, it's, it's, I think it's important because people are not born anti-Semitic, people are not born racist, um, mm -hmm. but societies that we live in are conditioning us into those ways of thinking. And, and we can work to unlearn it, um, but a lot of times we need help. So if you can be this help to these people, just don't cancel them and try to reach out and try to work with them. And like you're doing, the incredible work that you're doing is really, um, I mean, it's the best evidence on how you can change a person or change their way of thinking. You're not going to take away the past. You're not going to take away what they've done, but you're going to help others, you know? Thank you. Yeah, oh, that story makes my heart so happy. And it's just, yeah, I think we need more stories like that, that show that transformation is possible. And also acknowledge like how incredibly compassionate the role of an educator is. I think right. like being an educator is such a compassionate role. I know you have to go in like a few minutes. I could literally it talk to you fine. forever. Um, <laughs> can you... Can you? Okay, I, I love. <laughs> we honestly should. I loved your article so much on like being LGBTQ and Jewish in London, London in England, yes, in London. Mm -hmm. And um, I feel like wrapping this up on like a light-hearted note. Can you share um, what going to that event, that Bat Mitzvah event, was like for you, yeah. and like what that meant to you? Yeah, absolutely. I, I moved to London a year ago. And uh, since moving here, um, the beginning was it was okay. I mean, people knew that I was Jewish. We have a mezuzah on the door and, and our neighbors are really nice and they they were accepting. But um, definitely they accepted me and Mark living together. That was always like, oh, you guys are a gay couple. That's so sweet. We love it. Um, but no one really spoke to me about the Jewish part as much. And I, and I felt like in May, um, in recent May, May 2021, where there was the, um, the operation war between uh, Israel and Hamas um, in Gaza, the, um, 
the conversation has shifted completely. And I felt like all those people here that were our friends and our, and people that I felt like were always so compassionate towards us turned so hostile towards me. And all this, everyone started to interrogate me. People that didn't even know that I was from Israel just knew that I was Jewish, immediately interrogated me. And it was really hard to find my place, um, you know, place to feel safe. I mean, even in my own home, uh, I didn't feel safe. People were driving in the streets in London, calling to rape Jewish women, um, people that were protesting for Palestine. You, did, you, you know, some of the listeners probably didn't even hear about that because it didn't even make the news. But I'm thinking like, just living, I'm living in a city where people are driving down the street and calling to rape Jewish girls. Like that's insane. And for me, it was so painful and so hard. And, and um, being also, you know, gay was not really, as, as we discussed before, to go to a synagogue with my um, non-Jewish gay boyfriend, now fiance, um, is not really an easy thing. Um, when we think about it, I, I find that now I can, I can do it. I found a few synagogues that are more, that are accepting and open to it, but I always felt like I had to choose, you know, are, are you fully gay or are you fully Jewish? As, as we said so many times in, in this conversation. And, uh, there was this, um, um, party, a Jewish queer party that, um, was apparently every holiday they used to do it, but in the last two years they stopped because of COVID. And when the restriction eased um, just last month, they decided to um, to do it again. And it's called Bat Mitzvah. Uh, it's spelled like Bat and Mitzvah, <laughs> um, which is uh, supposed to be what the uh, when the when a when a girl turns twelve, Jewish girl turns twelve, she's going through the celebration of um, moving into womanhood. I get, I guess. Um, and, uh, and this take, their take about Bat Mitzvah was completely different. You're, you know, you need to bring your own Jewish fabulousness and we, you, people were dressing up as extra as they want. My friend was, uh, dressed up as the stolen items from the temple, Nicole, she was, she wore like, uh, all the things that, because of the second temple, we had a lot of, um, artifacts that were stolen by, uh, by the Catholic Church, I think uh, we're not going to get into it. It's too complicated, but uh, many <laughs> believe that it's still um, hidden in the Vatican City. Um, but anyway, so she dressed up as that. Um, I dressed up as uh, I dressed up as uh, um, Maimonides is um, uh, is a really great rabbi that lived in Iraq um, and uh, is also known as the Rambam. So. I extragic ex I mean added some padding to my butt. So that was <laughs> so his name Love is Rambam. So that was the joke on that. Um, my take on that. And we went there and it was just incredible. Um, they, you know, they they handed out bagels when you arrived and pickles, and there were pictures of famous Jews you didn't know were Jewish uh, on the walls. And they had Mizrahi Israeli music and people were dancing, and there was a speech by a rabbi, and there was drag queen called Ashkenazi that was just incredible and um and another drag queen called um Rue Polstein that did a whole show on the stage I cannot recommend it enough if you ever get to London during a holiday because I know that they're planning yes. one Passover um that is in the sign of bondage because of uh um you know the Jews were slaves in Egypt and now so that's what <laughs> <laughs> although I feel like gay people will get will get any opportunity to turn a party into yeah. a um but yeah, they're doing it. They're going to do it. I think every every, every almost every Jewish holiday, and uh, it's very exciting. And and for me, it was just like standing there and seeing all those Jewish queer people and allies. I mean, also more importantly, was 
that all those non-Jews were in the audience, like having fun with Jews and realizing that, you know, they have such, I, I spoke to the organizer of the, uh, of the party, um, um, Josh, and he said that the, his goal was to expose what being Jewish and queer is to non-Jews and draw them and show them that it's not what they think it is, that it's, you know, we're much more chill than, than they think that we are. <laughs> yeah, he said they have such a weird take of what Jews are, and, and that was his way of, uh, of dealing with that. And for me, it was a way to deal with both, both of those identities of being queer and Jewish in London. Um, and uh, it was just really heartwarming and and I and in my article about that I, I wrote about it for the Jerusalem Post and I said that often Jewish leaders are, are worried about the future of, of Jewish identity and where are we going to go and, and if we're you know the synagogues are being emptied and I said that I'm not worried seeing those you know young Jews even like you and like others that are embracing their identity embracing our identity and not willing to choose between different identities um, that gives me the comfort that we're not going anywhere and that we're um, we're going to continue um, to be you know to to overcome as we have in, in history and that's something that we're so used to but I think we're just going to continue to have to um, to do it yeah ah this has been so beautiful I have to make the joke of just being like <laughs> You mean like, I'm not worried about the future of Jewish leaders because like, because look at this upcoming bondage party. <laughs> but I totally get it on a deeper level. But it's true. Look at this bondage party. Like a bunch of queer Jews embracing all of their identities. <laughs> yes, I love that. And like, yeah, I can I can relate to that feeling of being in a space and feeling like you can be your whole self there and seeing so much representation and solidarity around you and being able to just like connect with joy I think so often when we're connecting with that complexity it's in like a very dense heavy way and that sounds like an event of so much celebration and playfulness and and joy and and everyone can do it even if you're not coming to to London like just invite people that are like you or from the community that you are around and, and host a dinner or invite them for tea or whatever like I feel like we can all build those spaces for ourselves those and I call it sanctuaries because it is sanctuaries like just a place mm -hmm. to be to feel safe um people that are like you and allies coming together like I think um you can do it anywhere but but yeah this party was fun yeah I love that I feel really inspired to like lean into that more here I did get to see a uh drag burlesque show the other day and they had a a Jewish drag king performer like ripped off of their clothes and had like this star of David <laughs> across their their chest and they were dancing to like Britney Spears slave for you I know um also I just want to say I know on your on your story the other day you were like you posted a gym selfie and you were like not me posting a gym selfie because people <laughs> say I need to like humanize my platform more but I'm like this has been such an amazing conversation of just like education meets like honest vulnerable human stories so I just I really appreciate you sharing so much and there's been like so much value in education and laughs and wholeness in this so thank you so much for sharing with us thank yeah. you thank you for inviting me and for making the space for this i know it's 
as as we said so many times in this conversation, you always feel like you have to choose. And you're, I, I recognize that your platform is not about Jewish identity, but it's. I really appreciate you making the space for it. So that's um, amazing in and of itself. So thank you, and thank you for all the work that you're doing. Yeah. How can um, how can people connect with you and support your work? Yeah, so you can follow me on uh, Han Mazig on Twitter, Instagram. I also have a TikTok, but I can't just, I can't Oh, yeah, I love TikTok. I know, you need to give me a crash course or something. I totally will, yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I, uh, but I'm everywhere, but just look up my name and uh, and the Tel Aviv Institute on Instagram, where uh, we're doing a lot of content there. Um, And yeah. Yeah, that page is amazing, too. I'll put all those links in the show notes so people can follow and and thank you, Han, because I feel too with my platform. I'm like, I do, I do want to celebrate Jewish identity and and voice more and more and more. And it feels really special to like be able to bring you on and amplify your voice and work. So yay! Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate it. That was fun. That was so fun. Thank you so much for listening, loves. This episode was really special to me as someone who, as you heard, has very much reclaimed my Jewish and queer identity around the same time. So Chen really has been a hero to me in that regards. Make sure you're following him on Instagram, on all his platforms, follow along with his work. He is amazing. And definitely if this podcast has resonated with you, educated you, inspired you, please share it. And leaving a review always means a lot and helps us amplify these messages as well. Definitely make sure to check out my free training on how to claim sensual self-love and embodied safety. You'll get immediate access to that if you sign up via the link in the show notes or at marleylist.com slash free training sending you all so much freaking love um you're not alone this holiday season or ever you deserve to take care of yourself and i can't wait to share next week's episode with you 